Welcome to C-Speak, the language of executives, supported by PNC. I'm Jim Hohen, Regional President of PNC Bank in Central Pennsylvania. Each podcast in this series features local and regional C-level executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform provides insights on forward-thinking business approaches that encourage leaders to think differently. We at PNC are proud to support this initiative. Here is your host for C-Speak, Sharon Ryan. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for everyone tuning into this episode of C-Speak, the language of executives. On this episode, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a fact. A diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace makes a company stronger, smarter, and more creative. As talent acquisition manager and chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Steering Committee at Gannett Fleming, a global engineering company based in Camp Hill, Masai Lawson understands that having a diverse, equitable, and inclusive workforce is not just about hiring practices. Hello, Masai. It's great to see you. It's wonderful to see you. Thanks for having me. So we're very fortunate to have you with us, Masai. Are you ready to dig in? I'm ready to dive in. Let's do it. Great. There's so much written about diversity, equity, and inclusion now that we just call it DE&I. And it seems like we're lumping them all together, and they're not all the same. So just to get started off in the right direction, can you please define each of these terms? Sure, sure. So we talk about diversity. It's really the presence of differences that may include race, gender, nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, age, religion, political affiliation, and I haven't captured them all. Um, Equity, if you think of equity, it's more building impartiality and and fairness within the procedures, processes, and policies, specifically in the workplace or really in any institution or system. And then inclusion is really that outcome and bringing it all together. Um, So ensuring that underrepresented groups are have really a seat at the table and feel welcomed and, and included and part of the process. So having some representation in the decision-making process and having a seat at the table, that's inclusion. And do you think it's important that people really do understand the differences that you're defining here? Yeah, I think so. Um, for a long time, you know, the word diversity um, was kind of a dirty word because it seemed to be a little bit alienating. Um, and so the, by adding in inclusion, I think it sort of softened the message, softened that um, that that journey that a lot of companies have been on to be more diverse. But the inclusion part, I think, is, is what resonates with people. Um, so sometimes you'll see uh, I before D, <laughs> uh, I before E. Um, but it is important to understand the, the nuances of, between the two because you can have a diverse organization that's not equitable uh, or diverse organizations that's not in, uh, inclusive. Um, so if you look at the top ranks of an organization, how diverse is that leadership team? Mm-hmm. Um, that It's not inclusive. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could talk a good game. Right. But at the end of the day... You have to live it. Right, right. Being authentic is so important as yeah. an employer, which we are learning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it is, a, it is a learning experience. I think a lot of uh, leaders think they know. 
Yeah, um, this is, um, you know, you really have to invest the time and energy, I think, to really understand um, this area. Um, you know, being diverse is not just about gender. It's not just about race, right? Um, you have to look at the, the whole person, you know, that whole person that's coming to work. Um, and often, you know, you may have people who are, um, diverse in some way, and you may not even know because f- people come to work and they're not being their authentic selves. They're covering uh, for fear of not being accepted, you know, for the differences that they bring right. to the workplace. Right. And we're going to talk about that a little later yeah. um, and how that how that can happen. So um, I really like how you said it's the presence of differences mm-hmm. and then um, the impartiality in how we function, how we operate and how we treat each other. And, uh, and to have inclusion, give everybody a seat at the table. So um, we do, we do, the reason why I bring this up is because we do hear a lot about hiring diverse candidates. We mm-hmm. need more diverse candidates. Um, but we don't hear a lot about having a culture that allows teams to truly benefit from diversity. And I think that's where you were headed um, with your definitions. But what are the characteristics of an inclusive culture? Yeah, you know, culture plays such a huge role in, in shifting the diversity needle, actually, uh, and, and really forming a truly inclusive environment. Um, you know, so an inclusive culture should be committed to I- its values, uh, the value that supports uh, all employees of all backgrounds, gender, ethnicity, ages, uh, sexual orientation, again, to feel supported and welcomed by leadership. Um, you know, some of the characteristics of an inclusive culture include operating under um, uh, transparent policies and procedures, so really understanding how things work in the organization. So, you know, decisions aren't made in some dark, smoky room and then just forced down everyone's throat. Um, to, to, to really be transparent about the policies and how you arrive at making decisions. And also, I think... Um, Having um, consistency uh, across the board in terms of how you deal with employees, right? So um, there shouldn't be a double standard. No group should be favored more so um, than another. Um, also, a, a culture of, of learning uh, is important when you talk about building an inclusive culture. People want to feel like you're invested in them. Um, they want to feel like they are, you're committed. They're giving you this commitment. They're being loyal. What are you, what are you giving to me? Some of that comes through, um, you know, formal training programs, but more often than not, it comes through informal mentor relationships. And so um, if you think about it, um, we think about a mentor-mentee relationship, often there are times where people may not even encounter each other because they come from such you know, different backgrounds had it not been for this mentor relationship. Um, most of the mentors that I've had uh, in my life have been older white men just because of the nature of the work that I've done. Um, but I think that has helped to inform um, all of us, you know, everyone that, that I've interacted with a little bit more about our individual culture, our background, perspectives. And I think that helps to break down stereotypes that exist uh, among different cultures. Um, and I think the other uh, maybe one important thing is um, to think about is leadership, right? You know, leadership has to be 
not just paying lip service, they have to be committed to it. Um, and so constantly reinforcing that really drives that culture of inclusion and also accountability. Um, it's one thing for someone in the C-suite to preach and, and say, these are the things that we need to do, but you need to back that up with real action and accountability when people are not uh, getting on the bus, so to speak. Well, and I would say, and, and a budget. And a budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this stuff doesn't, you know, everything can't be done organically. You're absolutely right. Um, you think about de- recruiting, for example, um, there are investments that need to be made in general. Um, so the technology that you employ, um, but also in the messaging, you know, where you make your investments, how are you promoting yourself on social media? Um, so yeah, all this stuff costs money. You have to hire people like me to help you. I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about you is you get the whole picture. It's not just about the talent. It's about what the talent can accomplish for the business. Right. And, and that takes and that's a whole system working together. And uh, so I really appreciate that. One of the things I've been reading about a little bit is psychological safety. Yeah. And um, is that is, is it, how does that play into your thought process? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, we all come into things, you know, differently. So how I landed in my role, for example, is uh, probably not real traditional. Um, but, but I'm working in an organization where I feel like it's okay for me to be me and my authentic self. Um, you know, there's been a uh, very open dialogue and communication and frankly, some very tough conversations uh, with some of um, our leadership team. When you talk about the safety to speak openly and honestly, uh, I feel very blessed in that I've had a chance to engage with these senior leaders. And again, we're going back to the dominant culture and the company I work for, which is predominantly white men. Um, where we've had conversations I don't think they would have had with anyone else had we not had that relationship or rapport. And also that they, I think, really understand that I am committed to what I'm doing, uh, but also see and understand the business imperative of what we're doing as well. Um, so to be able to translate that, uh, but also to create a safe space for them to ask questions that might not be so comfortable, right? So why is it important that I don't ask you about if I can touch your hair or massage? You know, these are very funny conversations <laughs> that I can refer back to. But, yeah, but you know, it's better than I'm just walking up to some woman and touching her hair, right? So Right, right. We appreciate that. Yeah. And I, this, this actually leads me to another question that I've, I think about a lot. Um, and that is at the CEO and the senior staff level, we hear statements, we read pronouncements that companies have zero tolerance for bias, um, zero tolerance for race, racism. And, and I know that, that this is heartfelt in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do CEOs have, what are, what are the unconscious biases, the blind spots that we have um, that create unintended consequences? There's just things we don't know we don't know. And one of the things I wanted to make sure we focused on, but we can talk about whatever you want, is assimilation. Hmm. The A word, yes. Um, so, you know, there's a pressure to assimilate, I think, for all of us. I think we've all had to deal with it in some way, shape, or form, regardless of your age, race, um, gender, sexual orientation. For an example, if you work in a culture where um, 
you know, everybody works 12 to 14 hour days. <laughs> um, you're going to likely conform if you feel like that is how you get to the next top or, you, or the next level, I'm sorry, or you fall into, um, you know, favor of uh, leadership. So it's for career advancement um, rather than to take a position to say, I need some work-life balance and then maybe run the risk of not you know, advancing to the next level. Um, when you throw in there, though, the dynamic of working in an environment where you are not part of the dominant culture, um, this whole concept of assimilation comes into play. Um, so maybe as a woman, you notice that, you know, women aren't speaking up uh, in meetings, and so you are quiet. Uh, or just people aren't allowed to speak up, and so you don't say anything. So I found myself assimilating most of my career to conform to European standards of beauty. Um, so this is straightening my hair, um, maybe not looking so quote-unquote ethnic, uh, and I'm, I'm lighter-skinned, um, and so that comes into play as well. Uh, if you're a darker-skinned person, maybe you've been conditioned to maybe not speak so loud, or if you're a big guy, to kind of fall back a little bit because you might be intimidating. So there's different ways that we assimilate into uh, an environment to be to be part of the, the process or feel included, even though you actually might not be. Um, when you're being, um, when you're assimilating, you're not really being your authentic self, and you're bringing like a fragment of yourself to work. And the company doesn't benefit from that at all either. If you don't have an employee that's being their authentic self or is completely engaged in the process, you're not going to get as much out of them as you can. Right. And I think as CEOs, maybe we don't even realize that we expect people to assimilate. Yeah, there's those unspoken rules, right? Like, this is what you do when you come here, even though we say we are inclusive as an, as an organization. So what your values or your mission statement might say might fly in the face of what is actually the culture right. that is present in your workplace. Right. And I want to just go back to a point, too. Um, there's two points. One, you mentioned the cultural values. And I didn't hear you say integrity or trustworthiness. I mean, those aren't cultural values. Mm-mm. Those are... Those are things that you just have, yeah. right? <laughs> this is what we're, we're born with. This is how you should operate in life, right? right? Um, but, you know, we think about, when I think about our values, um, we value inclusion. Uh, we, value, we value um, individuals having a sense of belonging um, when they come into the workforce or the workplace every day. Um, you know, when you think about um, an organization and, you know, their challenges that we're facing today, it's so much more important now, I think, than ever before for people to feel like going to work every day, they go in with a sense of purpose because mm-hmm. people want to work for a company where they have a common sense of purpose and believe in the goals of the organization. Right. And I know you're a big believer in emotional intelligence. EQ. Yes. yes. <laughs> Tell me more about how that uh, plays in. Well, you know, as a recruiter, my EQ is pretty high. Um, I, I've took a, taken a couple of uh, evaluations and assessments. But, you know, I think that you can be the smartest person in the room. And I work with a lot of smart people and be completely, first of all, not aware of your own self. Like that self-awareness is so important. But then also being able to read cues and um, body language and pick up on things. Um, But I think that that emotional intelligence could make or break you in your career, make or break you from a leadership perspective. Uh, And this all goes back to, uh, I think, number one, you being comfortable in your own skin, right? Uh, And then just 
by default, I think people are naturally more comfortable around you. Yeah, there's no way you can make someone comfortable if you are not exactly. yourself comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, then you think about going back to that whole assimilation piece, like if I was not comfortable with myself, I would not feel comfortable changing my hair. You know, I would not feel comfortable even taking the position that I take uh, when it comes to certain issues that are, you know, may not be necessarily conforming to what is traditional in terms of the mindset of those that I might encounter or work with on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think even just something as simple as changing your look, Mm -hmm. um, that is something that a lot of people think about and then other people don't think about at all. Yeah. And, you know, someone asked me the question, um, like, what do I say? It's like, sometimes you just don't need to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've got locks now, whereas the hair, uh, as opposed to when my hair was straight. Some people don't say anything. And some people are like, I look like a completely different person. And can I touch it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> we can have a conversation about it yeah. uh, if you'd like to. But sometimes it's better just not to say anything. Right. Yeah. There's so much going on behind the scenes that we really need to get used to looking for and understanding and be sympathetic to and empathetic. and Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Gen Z. Mm. So Gen for, Z. for anyone who hasn't committed these generations to memory, like me, um, Gen Z are generally considered to be people born in the 1990s through the early 2010s, which makes them... Uh, up to 30 years old and down to like the teenager, mm-hmm. the teeny, teeny boppers. And, teeny um, boppers. but Gen Z is, is the most racially diverse generation in American history. Mm-hmm. So how will Gen Z yeah. influence diversity, equity, inclusion, and inclusion in the workplace? How's, yeah. how's that going to change? You know, the companies that get it right will be the ones that succeed, that flourish. Um, You know, to your point, the most diverse generation, you know, um, and and also growing, you know, in in the workplace. Um, You know, the, the... I think there are five states now that are predominantly uh, Hispanic, right? And I don't know them all off the top of my head, but that's going to continue to change. Mm -hmm. And so it's like at one point, at some point you have to stop fighting it uh, and you have to figure out how do we adapt? How do we change? um, How do we um, invite these people into our organization and not only invite them in, but retain them? And a lot of what we talked about goes back to culture. Um, You know, Gen Zers are, they require more of employers. They require more of brands that they, you know, may commit to um, or they've been loyal to. If you do something or something crazy in the press happens, they will unplug from you immediately. Um, So there's a standard um, that I think they have, which I like, to be honest with you, to Mm -hmm. hold a company accountable, to walk the walk. Um, But you don't have a lot of room for error here. And, And at the same time, to not get on the bus, to not figure out how you can become a more inclusive, diverse, and equitable organization, you will be behind um, every, all of your competitors. Yeah, I mean, you know, and especially in today's reality of trying to, to compete for talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're lucky if you can keep somebody for three or four years, and that's with a good culture. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and I think that's part of the realization, too, is, you know, what, 
how we look at our workforce and, and we tend to think we have somebody and then we just check that box. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think one other point to make is, you know, those organizations, you know, maybe checking a box and you're bringing diverse talent into the organization. But how, how do you then promote that talent? How do you develop that talent, retain them, right, to be become, become leaders? Because it's those leaders that are going to be inclusive leaders in your organization. And it's leadership that really sets the tone for what your experience is like day to day going into the office. And so at that, I would say, middle management level is so important when you talk about teaching inclusive leadership skills and coaching uh, and also partnering with people like myself um, to be able to continue to um, address some of the challenges, because as we become more diverse and inclusive, there will become more challenges in the workplace by default. And I just want to make it clear, when you say developing people, you're mm -hmm. not saying make them more white. Definitely not saying that. <laughs> yeah, no. And so going back to not assimilating, right, what you want to do, I think these companies, I mean, obviously, you have to have guidelines and rules and you can't just have um, a free for all in an organization. You need to have some structure. However, um, if people feel like they can come to work, be creative, speak their mind, throw an idea out there that might go against the norms. Um, that's about developing people. That's about developing leaders. That's about people being their authentic self. Um, I think for a very long time, um, even at, you know, the leadership level, and you see it in companies, and I've seen it in, you know, personal relationships or interactions that I've had, um, where you're leaving your blackness or your Hispanicness at the door in order to come into this company every day. But again, you're not bringing your full self to work. Yeah, such a waste. I talk about it as being having to leave yourself in, on the front seat of your car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, I know people listening to this would really want to know, you know how, to, how to learn more about this subject. And there's so much good stuff yeah. out there. Um, but let, why don't you, could you share something you're reading or have read yeah. that you would say to somebody like a CEO or a senior executive, um, if you're going to read anything, read this. Yeah, I would say someone who's a CEO or a practitioner, you know, of any kind and, you know, any, any leader in an organization, um, there's a book I'd recommend written by Jennifer Brown, uh, and it's called um, uh, Inclusion. It's a pretty long title, but it's basically inclusion and basically how inclusion, diversity, and equity is imperative, you know, in the workplace moving forward. And, and then actual uh, ideas, techniques, strategies, and how to make that happen, I refer back to that all the time. Oh, that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not a practitioner, um, but also want to, you know, become a little bit more versed on the subject. Now, I'm recommending this to everybody. White Fragility um, says so she wrote it for white people. But I learned a lot by reading the book and in having conversations with friends of mine mm -hmm. uh, that were white because I kept finding we get so far in a conversation and we become tense. Mm -hmm. um, and so the full title is White Fragility, Why It's So Difficult for White People to Talk About Race. <laughs> it was quite enlightening. Um, and I've recommended it for about three or four friends. And we've had much better conversations since then. That's great. That's yeah. great. I've read a lot on this topic. I just love it because I want to I want to dash her to be uh, to be uh, an ally. 
Okay. And uh, so anyway, I just think that um, it's great to read on this topic and uh, and to listen to podcasts. Oh, absolutely. I'm a podcast queen. Yes. <laughs> so um, let me ask you this question because yeah. um, I'm sure you have a, a great answer for it. And that is, why do you show up for work every day? Yeah. So every day I get up, it's it's a different experience. Um, it is uh, an opportunity for me to make an impact uh, in an organization uh, and also in an area where I'm committed. You know, I don't feel like what I do is work. So I spring out of bed every day. Uh, my challenges are around talent. My challenges are around marketing and communications at times. Uh, but ultimately, it's the impact that I'm making, and I actually can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess when I no longer see it, it'll be time for me to do something else. But we're continuing to make progress, and I continue to smile every day when I wake up. Yeah, and I would encourage people to look at your website because it's got amazing displays. Uh, you're you're not just talking here; it's actually happening. Yeah, and it's a it's it's a constant effort, right? It's it's constantly looking at how we can improve, how can, how can we engage with diverse audiences. Um, so the imagery, the language, all of that is is very important. Well, that's great. There's no doubt in my mind that um, you're making a difference in people's lives for sure, and uh, so so happy to be here with you no, today. I appreciate this. this is something I'm so excited about this topic. I could talk about it all day long. So you want to keep talking? Do that. <laughs> you know, I could. <laughs> I have a thousand more questions. But um, thank you, Masai, for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us today. This was so good and so eye opening. I really, really appreciate what you shared with us. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find it as well as other episodes of C-Speak at WITF.org slash C-Speak. Until next time, I'm Sharon Ryan. Have a productive day.